okay, I commit to you that I will get to some of those traditional verses that we look at regarding the resurrection. So I will get to Luke chapter 24. So just bear with me for a little while because I want to look at a couple of different things and just remind you, Jesus wasn't the first person to talk about life after death. Jesus wasn't the first person to talk about resurrection. That's something that was throughout the scriptures. And let me just remind you right now, how many know people that they're not followers of Christ, but they believe in life after death? Is there anybody out there that, yeah, they believe in life, they're not a follower of Jesus, but they believe in an afterlife or some sort of uh, joining the great cosmos. They believe that they're going to continue to live or maybe even live and come back again. I've done it once. I don't want to come back again. How about you? Once is enough. I don't need to redo this thing over and over again. So every religion believes in other opportunity and other encounter, which is what makes this really interesting. Look in John chapter 10, verses 17 to 21. Here's the background. Jesus has just opened up blind eyes. And scripture foretold that the Messiah would bring freedom to the captives and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders at the time, they even believed that the Messiah would open blind eyes. You've got a problem, don't you? The Pharisees and the Sadducees believe the Messiah is a blind eye opening kind of Messiah and yet they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they can't deny what's happened. Jesus has opened blind eyes, it's, it's, it's stirred up quite a controversy. People are discussing it. Jesus begins to answer it by saying that I'm a good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he cares for the sheep, and he leads into this moment and he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. So already we are being told by Jesus himself, nobody took his life, he laid down his life. He might have used the Jews in their illegal trial. He might have used the Romans in the crucifixion that they had, had made popular as they were dominating the earth, but the Jews didn't kill Christ. The Romans didn't kill Christ. He laid down his life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Do you think he's trying to convince us of this? I'm laying it down, I'm taking it up. I'm laying it down, I'm taking it up. I'm laying it down on my Father's will and I'm bringing it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. It wasn't the first time they'd been divided about Jesus. Many of them said, quote, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him, unquote. But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You can see their struggle. The Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus is doing that, but he's not the Jesus we expected. He's not the Messiah that we expected. In talking about his Messiahship, Jesus literally refers to the kind of death that he was going to die and the resurrection that he was going to illustrate. His resurrection wasn't something he just foretold to his disciples. The laying of his life and the raising it up again, it wasn't just told to a few chosen apostles. It was actually shared with those that were willing to listen, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I've reminded you of this before, but we've got a bunch of new people today, so let me remind you again. There were several different religious groups at the time that Jesus was here. You have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, you have the Essenes, and then there were some political groups that were known as the Zealots. 
The Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed in angels and demons and the spiritual world. The Sadducees didn't believe in that. Now, I've told you before, they didn't believe in life after death. Thus, they were what? Sad, you see, right? It's an easy way to remember. In this particular passage in John 10, Jesus wasn't talking to the Sadducees. He wasn't talking to people that didn't even believe in the resurrection. He was speaking to the Pharisees. So they believed in life after death. And Jesus is sharing with them that life after death is going to happen and it's going to happen for him because he's going to raise his life up again. You see, the problem that the Pharisees had, it wasn't that there was a proclamation of life after death. The problem that they had was that Jesus was the one that said, I'm going to bring life after death. Now, this wasn't the first time that God had proclaimed this. We're going to go through several verses today. If you want to take pictures of them so you remember or jot them down in your notes, we're going to go through them rather quickly. Here's the first one. Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Yes, we've went all the way back to Exodus on Resurrection Sunday. Exodus 3, 5 through 6. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, now notice his words. He's very specific with what he says. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You all know the story about Moses. He fled from the land of Egypt when he was 40. 40 years later, he's an 80-year-old man taking care of his father-in-law's sheep in Midian. Listen, if you don't feel like you're a success, how many of you are 80 taking care of your father-in-law's possessions? See, things are looking good for you. Moses is living on the backside of the desert. He is 80 years old. He's not taking care of his own possessions. He's taking care of his father-in-law's possessions. And he's walking around with the sheep on the backside of the desert, and he notices a bush that is burning, but the thing's not being consumed, and he approaches it. And a voice comes out from that bush, and it tells him to take off his sandals. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you have ever been on a hot beach, and the last thing you want to do is take off your flip-flops before you get in the ocean? So there's already faith involved in this thing. When God says, hey, Mo, take off your sandals, he's thinking, I am in the desert. You want me to take, you want me to put my feet where? right? He takes them off and he approaches and God speaks. And God says to him, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. This is interesting because he didn't say, I was the God of your father, Abraham. I was the God of your father, Isaac. I was the God of your father, Jacob. Jacob died over 400 years before this moment that Moses just had with God. And obviously, Isaac was older than Jacob, and Abraham was older than Isaac. These men had been dead for at least four centuries. And yet, God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's letting him know they're alive. They might not be on this planet. You might not be able to put your hands around them right now, but they are very much alive, and I am very much their father. As a matter of fact, Jesus even used this verse to refer to himself. When he was speaking with the Sadducees in the scriptures and they're questioning him about the resurrection, he quoted this verse. You might go, well, why would he quote that verse? Be a fair question. How many know that the Sadducees only believed that the first five books of the Old Testament were anointed? The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, the fifth one. 
Deuteronomy, just making sure you're paying attention. Thank you. All right? They believed those were the only five books that were anointed. So Jesus quoted verses from what they believed to be anointed to let them know that there's life after death. Not only do we have God speaking to Moses, but look in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David, King David, had an understanding of life after death. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will not return to me. David had an understanding of life after life. Many of you might recall this story that he, his son, as an infant, was dying. And God told him that it was going to happen. And David did the same thing I would do. He went to God in prayer. He fasted, he wept, he prayed, God have mercy, let my child live, let my child live. As a matter of fact, he was so distraught that his servants were urging him to eat. They were urging him to take care of himself and he said, no, I am calling out to God that he would be merciful to my child. And the problem was the child died. And the servants who were observing their king, and let's face it, they already think he's having a nervous breakdown. And they're observing their king, and they're like, how can we tell him that the child died? If, if that's how he acted while the child was alive, what's he going to do now that he finds out that his child's passed away? And David noticed that they were talking, and he said, hey, what's going on? Somebody tell me. And they're like, you tell him, you tell him, you tell him. Finally, somebody said, your child died. You know what David did? He got up. He went home. He shaved. He washed. He put on fresh garments. He got his hair fixed. And he went to the house of God, and he stood, and he lifted his hands, and he began to worship the Lord. And that's what led to this question. They're like, how can you worship now? Your child's gone. This shows the understanding that David had about his God and about eternity. When David said, I can't bring him back again, but I will go to him. He will not return to me. David had an assurance that there is a place where God keeps his people that love him. That when life ends, life begins. How many of you know that death isn't an ending, it's a separation? It's not an ending, it's a new location. It's not an ending, it's just moving, folks. And David realized that his child had moved, and one of these days he was going to move too. There was a gentleman in the first service that his wife passed away just a couple of years ago. And there are times that when he comes in, I can still see it in his eyes. He misses his bride. He misses her. And when he walked in today, I said, brother, he's risen. And because he's alive, she's alive. And because she's alive, you're going to see her again. And we had this awesome guy hug. How many know awesome guy hugs are okay in a moment when the presence of Jesus is there, but no other moment is appropriate? (laughs) Unless perhaps you're winning the national championship, which Kansas won't do because they lost to Villanova. God is good. God is good. His mercies endure forever. All right? Yes, we're not in the same conference, but I still hold that great hope that whoever plays Kansas is my favorite team. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay? Miracles happen. The dead live. They're just separated from us. David understood it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, and maybe you're not, and if you are, you go, well, don't tell me what I'm thinking. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you might be thinking, 
Okay, God referred to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David had an understanding of life after death. We totally see this, but how does this point to resurrection? And that would be a fair question. Look at this in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Elisha was a man of God that was used mightily in the miracles of God. And it says that Elisha died and was buried. Now, I'm not trying to sum up Elisha's life. There had been so much about him, but here's a transitional moment. This man of God that had done miracles that were absolutely extraordinary has now died. He's been placed in his tomb. Now, there was a problem in Israel. And the problem was that the Israelites and the Moabites hated each other, and they were, they were neighbors. How many of you really get along well with your neighbor? How many of you are speaking that you'll get along well with your neighbor? Okay, the Moabites and the Israelites had problems with one another to the degree that every spring they would go out and they would try to take each other's property. They're like, no, 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 that's mine. No, no, that's mine. And the borders were constantly shifting as they were battling for territory. At the time that Elisha died, Moab was stronger in the natural sense than Israel was. So it says Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, this is beautiful. Suddenly, they saw a band of raiders. They saw the Moabites come, and they're fearful for their lives. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. They didn't even finish digging the hole for the guy. They just chucked him into the cave. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. This is Old Testament, folks. This is before Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. How anointed was Elisha? He was so anointed that his bones still had a touch of God that when a corpse landed on him, the guy stood up. This is beautiful. Now, some of you are like me. You're wondering about the rest of the story. I am too. Because it doesn't give us any more about this. But I wonder, did he stand up and go, I'm alive? And then the Moabites went, there he is. Can you imagine? Quickest resurrection and dead again experience ever. Right? He's alive. I'm alive. <laughs> And now I'm back to glory. So we don't know what happened. I've got to believe that he was catching up with his buddies. I've also got to believe that as they're running away and they see the dead guy resurrected, they're probably running faster than ever. <laughs> Wait for me. I'm not waiting for you, right? Incredible stuff. What a passage. What a passage. Now, there's a lot of nuances to this that I've taught about before. But for now, let's just receive what this is saying. That there was such an anointing on a man's bones that when a corpse touched those bones, he came back to life again. It's before Jesus. Jesus isn't the first one to refer to resurrection. He's not the first one to talk about life after death. This was throughout the scriptures. It's also throughout false religions. We believe. We know something, we know something within us is telling us that there's more than just this life. We know it. We get it. Jesus comes on the scene. Look in Mark, Mark chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. It says this. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. This is an incredible passage. This little girl had actually died. She wasn't just snoozing. She had died. And family and friends had gathered in her home and they were mourning her life. There is something, I mean, mourning is one thing, but isn't it, really, isn't it really brutal when it's someone that's so young and you know they had so much life left to live? You know what I'm talking about? 
I've prayed with people before. They're like, pray for my grandpa. He's 109. We don't think he's going to make it much longer. I'm like, dear Lord, let him go. He looks like a prune. He's exhausted. You're saying life, life, and he's going death, death, death. How many know at 109? It's got to be time. You know what I'm saying? So if he's 109, I want you to know we're not going to have the prayer vigil, okay? We're going to let him go to glory. That's where God wants him to be. It's time to move on. Man, a 12-year-old, that's rough. That's difficult. Now, I don't know how many know this. Culturally, one of the things that you would do because you wanted someone that you loved to be mourned properly, you would pay people to come and mourn them. Do you know that? They would pay people to come and to cry. Just like that. Thank you. Perfectly timed. That was amazing. Not sure who did it. Maybe it was a sign from above, but that was incredible. So you've got the family crying, you've got friends crying, and then you've got the people that you've given a couple of denarii to cry for the day. So Jesus comes walking in and he hears all the commotion and he sees the people that have been paid to cry and he was probably a little tired of them anyway. They're, oh, and they're weeping because, I mean, you got to get the full pay and if you're going to get the full pay, you got to get full effect, right? So they're working at it, they're quivering their lip. <laughs> I loved her. Didn't even know her name, Right? Jesus walks in, he goes, just be quiet. She's not dead, she's asleep. Scripture says that they begin to laugh him and mock it. And you wonder, how could they turn so quickly? Well, they turned because they were hired to be emotional. And they went from crying to laughing and scorning. And Jesus said to his parents, hey, don't even worry about it. He tells his parents to the little girl, come with me. He says to his disciples, come with me. And he says to everybody else, get out. How many know that there are times you've got to get out doubt? You got to get the doubt out. And they got the doubt out. And they went up into this little girl's room. And Jesus reaches out and he grabs her hands. And he doesn't say, I am the resurrection and the life. Death must submit to my authority even now in my name. Voila. <laughs> I mean, when you are authority, you don't need to broadcast your authority. When you are the answer, you don't have to proclaim it to everybody. He just says, Talitha kum. It's Aramaic. It was the common phrase that you would use to say, wake up. It's, it's something that that little girl's dad probably said to her every morning. Talitha kum. It wasn't a magic word. It wasn't a magic phrase. It was very ordinary. But how many know when an extraordinary Jesus says something ordinary, it's transformational? And literally, it says immediately the girl stood up. Now, you might be going, this is a miracle. A dead girl has come back to life. Listen, that's no big deal for Jesus. It's no big deal for Jesus. The miracle is that when a girl awakened, she got up. You're not following me. You need revelation on this. I have an 11-year-old in my house. I say to her many times, little girl, arise. Arise. I think this morning before early service, we said it to Sophia about seven times. Little girl, Talitha Kum, I say to thee, arise. Sophia, precious, preciosa, my princess, time to arise. And eventually you're like, Talitha Kum, arise. Get out of bed now. 
we have to go worship the Lord. If you don't get up, I'm going to kill you. Christ is risen. Right? Have you been there? Exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus defeats death. No big deal. Little girl, girl arrives. She got up. She walked around. They were astonished. And I am too. Because I know exactly what's going on there. Jesus holds life in his hand, folks. He holds it in his hand. I'm not even going to take all the time to share more and more, at least to read the texts. But you guys know about Lazarus. Been dead for four days. Jesus says, roll the rock out of the way. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And this guy that was wrapped up in burial claws comes hopping out of the tomb. And I know that to be true because after he came out, he said to his disciples, untie him. So it's not like he came walking out, Lord, I am here. I mean, the guy came hopping, going, where am I going? And the disciples got their hands in it. And they got to watch the miracle of God unfold right in front of them. It's been said that if he wouldn't have said, Lazarus, come forth, if he would have just said, come forth, every dead person in the tomb would have got up. Because when the resurrection speaks, people have to listen. Have you ever heard about the widow that lived in the town of Nain? You heard her story? I'm not saying this is right, so ladies, as I tell this, don't get aggravated with me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm not saying this is right, I'm just saying it's the way it was. Ladies weren't even treated like second-class citizens at the time of Christ. They just weren't. Their value was in having sons. That's how their value was determined. And this lady had lost her husband, and so any of his property, it wasn't allowed to be her property, any of his property would be passed down to his son. And guess what? They only had one son, and the problem was that son had died. I'm sure nothing like this would ever happen in our culture today, but did you know that there are people actually that will take advantage of others in moments of distress? Yes. I mean, it happens. This lady had died. She couldn't pay for the mourners to come and to cry for her son. Scripture says that as Jesus and his disciples are approaching the town of Nain, here come a couple of guys carrying a stretcher with this dead boy on it. And they're going to take that kid and they're going to just chuck him in the field for poor people. He wasn't going to be mourned. People weren't going to have a procession for him. He was just going to be carried and dumped. And as his his mom is walking behind, there's her only son. Not only there goes her only son, but there goes her livelihood. Her property is going to be taken and given to somebody else. Once again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's the way that it was. And as Jesus is approaching this community, he sees what's happening, and he walks over, and he didn't touch the boy. He walked over, and he grabbed the stretcher, and it said those carrying the corpse came to a stop, and he says to the young man, he goes, I say to you, get up, and literally, as they're carrying this guy, it says he sets up on the stretcher. Can you imagine what they were thinking? (gasps) He sets up on the stretcher, and it says he and Jesus talked. He doesn't even tell us what they said. But they talked, and he looks at the lady, and he says, here's your son. And Jesus just walks on. He didn't wait to be praised. He didn't wait for everybody to worship him. He just gave the gift of life, and he moved on. And guys, this is amazing stuff. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. I, I, I can't bring him back here, but I can go to him. A corpse can hit bones and rise again. Jesus can say, Talitha kum, and a 12-year-old arises. He stops somebody by grabbing a stretcher and says, man, get up, and he does. He says, Lazarus, come forth, and this guy comes hopping out of the tombs. Jesus has the authority over death. He has the mastery over it. He is the resurrection. Think about it. The Pharisees weren't mad that Jesus believed in resurrection life, but he, that he had the audacity to proclaim that he was resurrection life. That's what bothered them. Now, let's look in Luke chapter 24. My introduction is done. Okay? We're going we're gonna to focus in together. I pro- we will be done by 1.30. I don't want you to worry. You'll, you're not taking this very well. There's, there's some bad... Okay, we'll be done. Don't worry, all right? Because I've got people coming to my house. Luke 24, 1 through 8, says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took some spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. How many don't, no, you don't look for living people in tombs. He had risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. I find this whole passage incredibly interesting. At a time in our culture, in the culture of the world, where women weren't valued, as a matter of fact, not only did they not have property, did you know that they couldn't even testify? If three ladies saw a man kill another man, and all of three of them were in agreement, and they came forward and said, this is what took place, it wouldn't be received because it wasn't validated by a man's testimony. It's ridiculous. And yet, these women were the ones that were the first ones to hear that Jesus had risen again. In one of the most beautiful statements in the scriptures, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. It's being proclaimed in churches around the globe today. That statement is being proclaimed. Many of you put it on Facebook this morning. He's alive. He's, why do you look for the, the living among the dead? He's not here. He's re- that verse that's going all over the globe, it was shared with two ladies in the privacy of a garden with nobody else around. I want you to know, to get a word from God, you don't have to hear it with the masses. You just need to hear what he's speaking to you. And in that moment, he gave those ladies a word that I'm even talking about in March of 2016, that we serve a risen Savior. And you know what? Their testimony might not have been accepted in the court of law, but the apostles accepted it. And when they went and told the apostles what they had experienced, a couple of them took off running to go and to see it for themselves, that his body wasn't there. He was alive. He was alive. He is alive. I think it's interesting that the angels had to say, remember how he told you while he was with you. Do you know that Jesus spent his ministry proclaiming his death and his life? 
You might recall that one day they were walking, they're looking at the temple, and somebody said, how beautiful is this temple? And Jesus used that moment to give them a little prophetic understanding about himself. He said, hey, tear this temple down and I'll do what? I'll rebuild it in three days. People misunderstood, but you can't build this temple. And it took us years to build this temple. But the temple he was speaking about was his body. How about in John chapter 10? We already read it. After he opened blind eyes, he said, I lay my life down and I'll take it up again. Nobody's taking my life, but I'm laying my life down and I'll raise it up again. This is how my father knows that I love him. I'm laying my life down and I'll raise it up again. In John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, we love to read that at funerals, like he's up hammering on heaven for 2,000 years. The place that he went to was the cross, and he died a death to make a place for us in the kingdom of God. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be gone for just a little while. While everybody else celebrates, you're going to mourn. But then I'm going to come back, and you're going to celebrate. Over and over again, he told them what he was going to do, but they still didn't get it. How many men do we have in the room? How many of you have ever had one of these moments? Your wife tells you something, and you think you heard it. And then you find out later that you heard the exact opposite of what she said. Is, it, is this only in my home? There are times, Beth and I will be in conversation, she'll say, whatever. See the problem? <laughs> she'll say, whatever. And I'm listening to whatever. And we get done, and she knows me well. She's like, Brad, what did I just say to you? And I will repeat to her what she just said to me, at least what I thought she said to me. And she'll say, that is the exact opposite of what I said to you. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. She goes, that's the exact opposite. This is what I said. I'm like, are you sure? Honey, are you doing drugs again? I know you've got quite a testimony. Are you positive that you're not walking in free? You know what I'm saying? I've, how many of you ever been told that that's the opposite of what I said? There's a few of us. Okay, there's a few of us. And I think to myself, I get that I miss it, but how did I get the opposite of what she said? And I think about that when I see this. The disciples were stunned. He told them, I'm going to raise the temple. I'm laying my life down. I'm going to raise it up again. Over and over again, he told them what he was going to do, but they were so preconditioned to what they thought they were hearing, they didn't miss, they didn't even, they missed it. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there are still people that want to say the disciples overcame Roman soldiers, stole his body, proclaimed him to be alive so that they could con the world with this story about the resurrection. Why would they do that when they didn't even get it? They didn't understand that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was crucified, what did they do? They scattered in fear. They went and hid out because they didn't want to be killed along with him. What changed them then? Eventually, they're preaching and they're powerful. I'll tell you what changed them. They saw the resurrected Jesus. And when you see someone that was dead alive again, it'll change you. Here's a few observations. Death can't hold the author of life. Death has no hold on Jesus. And because it has no hold on Jesus, I'm going to go there. If Jesus is living in you, it doesn't have any hold on you either. Death can't defeat the Jesus in you. It can't. You have an assurance 
that when you leave this life, you enter into your next life with him. Number two, Jesus' authority to conquer death was never in doubt. Jesus wasn't concerned about his ability to overcome death. He knew exactly what he was going to do. I'm laying it down, and I'm taking it up again. You can count on it. Number three, Jesus' death and resurrection opened the invitation for all of us to experience resurrection life. Now, I'm going to share a passage that I find to be really obscure. I'd love to kind of dig into this more. I didn't do it this week. I just want to kind of share it with you. I love it when pastors bring up things that create more questions. I think that's kind of fun. Look in Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 to 53. This is the moment when Jesus says, it is finished. And he releases his spirit to the Father. In that moment, the temple veil was rent in two from top to bottom. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city, which would be Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. How many of you have never read that verse before? Or it hasn't stood? How many of you have read it many times and you've often wondered about it? It's, it's an astonishing verse. At the moment that Jesus said the work is finished, the temple veil rips open, showing that we can go into the holiest of holy places. And God's word says, in that moment, dead people came back to life. But it also says they didn't leave the tomb till Jesus rose. I mean, how crazy is that? Can you imagine? A bunch of dead people come to life in this tomb. They're like, what you doing? I don't know. I was asleep like you, and look at us now. You know what? It doesn't even smell as bad in here as I thought that it would. And they hung out for three days. They just spent time in there. And after Jesus resurrects, they go to Jerusalem and they start talking to people. Have you ever bumped into somebody you haven't seen for a while? Hey, what's going on? You doing okay? Well, I divorced three times. I lost five jobs and, and I listened to country music. Oh my Lord, are you serious? You listen to country music, that's awful. Everything else is okay, but that's awful, right? I mean, isn't it crazy how time passes? Can you imagine this guy's walking through Jerusalem like, Steve, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Where you been? I haven't seen you at the last six reunions. Well, I died. What? I died. But three days ago, it's really wild. The temple veil opened up. I've been sitting there with Bob and George and a few other guys. We just got out today. How you doing? I mean, no small controversy, right? As a matter of fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, referred to this. Josephus, who was not a follower of Christ, wrote about the confusion in the city because after the death of Jesus, a bunch of righteous people that had died were seen walking around. Pastor Brad, can it be true? I don't know. Maybe the Bible lies. Or maybe we can put our trust in what God's word says. Dead people come back to life again because of resurrection power. It's amazing. Well, why did they wait three days? I don't have all the answers to that. Maybe they were nervous to come out. Maybe they're like, it's really bright. My eyes need to adjust. You know, they've been so wide and dilated. I, need to, I, I have no idea. Maybe it's because Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead and he had to come out first. 
And when he came out, they followed him. Scripture says that we follow him in joyful procession. So maybe they waited for the leader to lead them out. I'm not sure. I think that probably would be biblically accurate. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus' death and resurrection opened the invitation for the resurrection life of Jesus to live in our mortal bodies now. Now. Romans 8, 11, last verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Jesus is alive, and I know it. Listen, I know there are pastors that are a lot smarter than me out there. Let's face it, I I listen to some of them speak, and I'm like, where did they get that kind of intellect? And we could have used Easter to try to give you a valid proof text of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We could have gone that route. Ultimately, here's what I know. The best testimony that I can give you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what he's done in my life. And I'm not the person that I used to be before I accepted him as my king. He changed me. Resurrection power came into my life. Not just resurrection power, resurrection presence, resurrection life, resurrection Jesus moved into my life. I know who I used to be, and I know who I am now, and the only way that that's happened is because of Jesus. Anybody else have the same testimony? You might not be able to give all the proof texts. You might not be able to cross-reference the works of Josephus with the works of Luke and what Bartholomew talked about and the discovery of Mark's gospel that was written on papyrus plant in Egypt that was dated back to AD 53. We might not be able to do all that stuff. But we can say, I know what he's done in me. I know what he's done for my family. And not only can I say that for me, but I also at this point in my life, I know what he's done through me. There have been times that I've prayed for people that were blind. And when we were done praying, their eyes were opened. And you know what I know? I might have big hands like my grandpa, but they're not magical. They don't... They don't have a healing power. But when you lay your hands on someone, by faith, in the name of Jesus, blindness has to go just like it did for Jesus. We've had the privilege of seeing deaf ears open at this very altar. I remember I was trying to pray this great prayer and Bob Skibo was next to me and he said, Pastor Brad, her her ears are open. I thought they can't be open yet, I'm not done with my beautiful prayer. I've got this wonderful prayer I'm mustering up here. He's like, her ears are open. I'm like, can you hear me? And you remember what her reaction was? Oh my God. I said, yes, it was. How does that happen? Coincidence? Just good timing? It's a resurrected king that lives in men and women that believe in him. It's amazing. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of David's son. 
He's the God of a guy that we don't even know his name that landed on Elijah's bones. He's the God of a little girl that he said Talitha kum to. He's the God of a widow's son. He's the God of Lazarus. He's the God of the apostles. He's my God. He's my king. And on this resurrection Sunday, Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. I thank you that you laid your life down only to take it up again. I thank you that you did the work necessary to bring us into right relationship and restoration with the Father. I thank you for that, God. And I thank you that you actually had the audacity to move into my life, to move into all of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. With no one looking around for just a moment, for just a moment, if you're in here today and you're thinking to yourself, I believe this, but I need to receive this. I need to receive Jesus. I'm not asking you to join Faith Chapel. I said it earlier and I'm gonna say it again. God didn't raise from the dead for you to go to church. He didn't raise from the dead for you to go to Faith Chapel. He rose from the dead to move into your life. Because I don't just need him today from nine to 12.30. I need him every moment of every day. To be quite honest with you, I need him on Monday morning. How about you? And I need him on Saturday night. And I need him on Tuesday, and I need him Thursday afternoon. I need him 24-7. So it's not about church, it's about relationship. Is there anybody in this place today that you're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, I, I don't just need church, I need Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand and slip it back down, because I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you forward, we're not going to put a spotlight on you. I just want to have the privilege of praying for you. Is there anyone you're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, that's me today. I need Jesus. I need Jesus, because we want to give you that opportunity to receive him today. God bless you. Thank you so much, sir. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Today, you want to receive him. You want to receive him. He left the tomb so he could move into your life. I don't just believe it with everything in me. I trust what the scriptures say. They validate themselves, whether I believe them or not. Let's stand together. I saw at least one person that wants today to be a day that they profess their faith in Christ Jesus. That is phenomenal. Because now resurrection life happens in a new way for someone. Right? You believe it? Let's pray this together. Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe in you. And I believe in your son. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life and for raising it up again so that you could move into me. On this day, I invite you in. Live in me. I'll follow you. I believe. I receive. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen.